On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we will be dabbling in 90s magic with Netflix's reimagining of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, we'll be watching the most upsetting sex montage ever committed to film in Julia Davis's new Sky Atlantic comedy, Sally Forever. Look forward to much talk of lesbian rimming, bum towing, and, well, I, do you know what? I don't even want to mention the bit with the tampon, so, so I never thought I'd work that into an introduction. And we'll be getting proper carried away with the new BBC espionage drama, The Little Drummer Girl. Do you see what I did there? Thank God you said it with that emphasis, <laughs> otherwise we would never have got the gag. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's solid punning. Um, not to mention picking through the very latest TV news morsels plucked if you will from the broadcasting soil before being lovingly chewed over and then flown back to the nest and regurgitated into your eager little beaks was that was that just, that's just disgusting isn't it I enjoyed it I'm looking forward to it yeah. so I've been watching a lot of National Geographic recently, so I've kind of got <laughs> that image in my on head on top of everything yeah of like, like little birds feeding each other okay so that's, Fine. that's what we're doing anyway I'm James Dyer, and I am joined, as is so often the case, by my two square-eyed colleagues. On my left, we have Boyd Hilton, a man who drops so many celebrity names. He, and this is true, employs a special intern to follow him around all day picking them up. Hi, Boyd. Hello. How are you? I am jet-lagged. Because you were flying off to have cocktails with Andrew Lincoln. Did you, in fact, (laughs) share a kebab with Maggie Smith? I didn't show about with Maggie Smith, no, no. But I was uh, swanning around the set of uh, Stranger Things. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Did you see some Stranger Things? I can say that. Yeah, Terry's looking at me like I'm. I, I, I'm not only sure. can I say that, but Netflix even allowed me to do a social media, which I stood in front of the sign of the place where it's set. Which then I can stop mouthing silently yes. pan- with panicked eyes. Yeah. Worst case scenario, we could just beep it out. It'll just be. I was on the set of beep, beep, beep. beep. Okay. Yeah, they were very relaxed about us saying we were on set, even though it's not out till next year, like probably summer next year. But then they got all uh, they got very confused about what we couldn't can take photos of on the set. So at one point we were in this huge big set, and I yeah. started taking photos, and they were like, "Oh no, no, you can't!" And they literally just stood there while I deleted them from my. No. Yes. I mean, in the nicest possible way. Did but you it, go to the upside down? Um, kind of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Exciting. Very exciting, exciting news. And on my right. A woman who, and this is also true, likes to kick back after a particularly tough or stressful day and watch rape drama to make herself feel better and take her to a happy place. Terry, this is something we've touched on in the past, but I don't think has been properly explained, mainly because it's sociopathic. What's up with that? So, this is a well-known phenomenon, right? Which is, I, I get a great deal of relaxation from watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit, a police procedural drama. It is incredibly formulaic. There is a setup which shows the crime. Somebody is a suspect. Somebody else is a suspect. Normally they go down the like wrong road. Then they go down the right road. Then they get arrested. Then there's a trial. Then justice prevails. And I find it very comforting. And one episode... They chose not to show the verdict, so they showed it until the foreman of the jury stood up and said, "Uh, we find the defendant. And they didn't show it because they wanted to reflect the genuine kind of like, will they or won't they get off with it of real life? And complaints were plenty because they'd broken the formula and ruined the comfort. But it's just, is it not like... It feels traumatic. That feels like a traumatic TV show. I don't look as a as a woman. It is kind of terrifying, but justice always prevails in a world where actually justice very rarely pre- portrayals mm. prevails. 
Look at the statistics. It's horrific being a woman. So actually, watching something where women are usually believed and <laughs> the perpetrator is usually brought to justice may not be the most realistic thing in the world, but it makes me feel slightly better than the real world, which makes me feel terrified and like I'm never going to get any justice. Crime, crime fiction in general, all types of crime fiction, whether it be TV, film and the actual novels are all it's all women are the other people driving that whole genre and particularly the, the fiction. true crime true as well. crime yeah. huge so it is fascinating uh i did not know that yeah yeah it's interesting well, it, and i think that is the reason i think they're you know because generally the whole genre revolves around resolution mm. um i think that is the key to it yeah it's interesting it's fascinating is it the best law and order yes have you seen the others? I mean, the original, I've seen all of them. The original novel was, was phenomenal. I mean, it was, it was Yeah, but then series. like half the cast died yeah. because it went on for <laughs> so did long. Go it for did go on a lot. Law and Order Criminal Intent, which had, um, yeah. help me out, uh, incredible actor. What's, cri- like, what, what's the angle of that one? So Criminal Intent is much more around kind of criminal mastermind. It's psych- that one was much more psychological. There, was, there are many different strands of Law and Order, but SVU has been now going, um, I think it's just done its 18th season, 19th season. Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio yes. was in Law and Order Criminal Intent. It's had some incredible actors in there. And as I say, a police procedural with a formula. I actually watched, <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night, I had insomnia. Oh and so I watched Law and Order until I fell asleep. Um, and I woke mm. up and it was still playing this morning and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what's been going into my brain in the middle well, of Well, presumably, dun dun, doo doo. Is it chung chung? This is the debate. What, what, how do you write it down? The, the sound, how do you write it down? It's is definitely it? a chung chung. It's, a, it's chung, a more chung. of a chime than a bang, chung, isn't it? Chung chung. But they used to, I lived in New York and all of my female friends in New York all used to watch it as well and we'd all run home when it was on linear TV and watch it at the same time. And we used to say that among, you know, smart, educated women's apartments all over New York, you'd just hear chung chung and you'd be like, <laughs> she's one of my people. How is that not your That's text brilliant. message sound? That's all I'm going to say. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, can't mix up the sounds. Sorry. Um, did, did you ever watch the UK one? Yes. Yes. With Jamie Van. Which was Chris, Ch- Chris Chibnall. Didn't run very long, that, did it? No, but it was actually Boyd, good. Boyd, don't it say it in that good. voice. Like, oh, it's actually... Boyd, I like everything Hilton. Oh, that one was actually all right. It was actually It was right. rubbish. No, it, was, it wasn't. It was better than you think. I mean, it wasn't wow. as good as the American one. Was it better than everybody thinks? But, yeah. Wasn't it directly taking plots from the American one? Like, it wasn't um, new I think it started out doing that, and then it ended mm. up becoming its own thing pretty quickly. Well, because the best... I'm sorry to keep going on about this, <laughs> but the best of the original Law and Order SVU are the ones that are called Ripped from the Headlines. And what they do yeah. is they take real cases. So there, was, there are mentions of a president who's just like Trump at the moment. So they take real-life elements and they reenact them on screen, but far enough away that they're not kind of, you know getting into any legal trouble. So there was one episode which was based on Rihanna and Chris Brown. There's been whole Trump things. Um, it's it's really, really brilliant when it does like makes it very zeitgeisty. Wow. Next week's Doctor Who references Trump, by the way. Oh, is it? Mm. Well, we're going on to Doctor Who very shortly because <laughs> we're going to kick off with a r- new regular segment that is called, for the purposes of this week's podcast, until I think of a better name for it, shows we are watching that are not new <laughs> this week, but that we are watching regardless and that you might want to hear about. Shows Great. we're it, still watching. Exciting telly, we're still watching. It needs workshopping slightly. Yes. But, um, yeah. Boyd, how are you getting your televisual rocks off at well, the moment? I, before I went on my uh, nine-hour flight to Atlanta, I downloaded the whole of uh, Making a Murderer, part two, not season two, part, part two, two, the ten new episodes that arrived on Netflix on Friday, and I watched them all. I've now consumed the whole of Making a Murderer. And it is as compelling and 
riveting and disturbing and unlike Law and Order SVU it does not give you any sense of justice there is no justice I mean that is the extraordinary thing yeah spoiler and it's interesting because even though I kind of have been following what's been happening in real life so you know knowing that um, Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey are still in prison that is spoiler a fact they're both still incarcerated but even though I knew that when the moment comes, particularly Brendan Dassey's case, so this is, you know, Brendan, Cass- Brendan Dassey was was um, imprisoned, found guilty of assisting Stephen Avery in the horrendous rape and murder that, that neither of them, I believe, committed. Anyway, Brendan Dassey, to cut a long story short, it was all down to his clearly coerced confession that I think in this country, in the UK, it would never have got anywhere legal. I Wait, think at least... Even in the US, I'm gobsmacked that. It is extraordinary. they had it on yeah. video. Right. They had it on video so you and he watch, was banged to right. rights. So now he goes through various... He's got these uh, two new lawyers working on his appeal who are a, a specialist experts in juvenile coerced confessions. They're right, literally writing the book on that issue. And that twice they win their appeals. And this is all slightly spoilery, but it all happened in real life before, the, before the series arrived on Friday. And then when they finally that gets reversed. It was devastating. It's a devastating moment. And I was like sitting there, you know, on the plane watching this thing like in tears because it's so devastating and so absolutely unfair. And the American justice system is unbelievably stitched up against innocent people once you're convicted by incredibly dodgy, uh, you know, um, lawyers, police, etc. And it's really depressing, I have to say. It's And I didn't come away... And even though Kathleen Zellner, who's the big new character in it, who is um, Stephen Avery's new lawyer, who is the winningest private um, uh, post-conviction lawyer in America and is an extraordinary figure, force of nature, even though she's very optimistic at the end, you're still left with like, oh, my God, how can this ever be resolved? And this guy, you know, at least one guy spent half his life in prison mm. for crimes he didn't commit. So... Making a Murderer, and that, it's been criticised. If you, there's reviews, I read reviews this, um, last night when I was, you know, thinking about it in Vanity Fair and uh, you know, uh, Hollywood Reporter, right? Such the kind of, and and a lot of them have been attacking this series, saying that, um, you know, does it really come to? Is there any point to it? And it's it's biased. A lot of things that the first series was was was, was accused of. I think all of those criticisms are slightly misguided, because I think you still come away knowing a huge amount about the extraordinary state of the American criminal justice system. And you're not going to know quite how horrendous it is unless you watch this or you listen to Serial <laughs> currently on, on the, the incredible podcast. It is unbelievably interesting. It makes me feel that our criminal justice system is, slight, is, is a lot better. It's not as politicised. So in America, all of, the, all of these judges who are deciding these big cases, they're all either Democrat or Republican. Mm-hmm. And the Republican ones will not... <laughs> They just will not listen to reason. They, they want to defend the system. They don't want to be seen to have made any mistakes. And that is kind of like the overarching thing you learn about the whole system. Anyway, making a murderer. Wow, that sounds like a real pick-me-up. <laughs> You've sold it, Boyd. I'm, I'm going to watch that next time I'm, I'm feeling really down. sorry. Yeah. Wow, okay. Now, Terry, I believe you've been watching a bit of Doctor Who. Well, I've got two things I want to say. Okay. Number one, The Cry, final episode last night. I don't want to say anything more than that because it would be a massive spoiler. Apart from, if you are like James Dyer and have so far refused to watch any, watch all four on iPlayer in one go. Remarkable telly based on quite a seemingly, not a mediocre, but, you know, it's very kind of -of run-of-the-mill BBC Sunday night drama child goes missing really innovative in terms of the narrative into jenna coleman's performance throughout is astonishing really great just watch it four hours of your life you'll never get back and you won't want them back but 
what I really want to talk that about. <laughs> what I really want to talk about is Doctor Who. So, oh Doctor my, Who. Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> so northern. Suddenly, <laughs> Doctor Who. I, I know about she's from Yorkshire, but Doctor still. Doctor Who. That there um, Doctor. Third episode last night. So I've cried at the second and the third. Um, and last night was a real change of pace. So it kind of very traditional Doctor Who for me. It's kind of a self-contained story, going back to something in history, very quantum leapy, actually. And where they went is they went back to Alabama, Montgomery in 1955, the day before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus for a white passenger, as was the law then on segregated buses. And her action, she was arrested. It led to um, protests. It led to people boycotting buses. Martin Luther King picked up her cause and essentially is seen by many as the, uh, what do you call it, the spark that led to the Great Revolution. Catalyst. The catalyst behind kind of the the movement away from segregation to equal rights for African-Americans. So a hugely significant moment in history. And essentially the TARDIS takes them back there. And you think their job is to essentially, and by their I mean the companions and the Doctor, their job is to basically make history happen is the setup. So somebody evil is trying to stop Rosa Parks from um, refusing to give up her seat and therefore changing history. And the setup all the way through is essentially the Doctor is going to have to save the day, aided by her companions. So far, very Doctor Who. Apart from, essentially, what becomes clear is that the Doctor isn't meant to save the world. What she's meant to do is allow history to unfold in the way it, always, it was always meant to be, so that Rosa Parks can fulfil her destiny and be the one who changes the world. This and sounds like an episode of Quantum Leap. In effect, saves the world. I tell you, it was so... And that last bit is so important because in this story, there is a real risk that it was going to be very much, here come the white people to save the day. Here comes the white doctor. What it actually was, was a really kind of nuanced, unflinching look at racial politics, which there are a few things that really struck a chord with what we're seeing today with the far right. And I have to say, they did not kind of flinch away in terms of the language used, the brutality of the treatment. It was really shocking in places. And you were looking at the clock going, it's quarter past seven on a Sunday night. Oh, my God. Um, It was remarkable. It was super emotional. It was so well handled. The actor who played Rosa Parks was extraordinary. Was it Vignette? Vignette Robinson. Vignette Robinson. Absolutely remarkable. Jodie Whittaker just handled it with just brilliant... I mean, her performances, I just feel like are getting better and better every week. There is a scene with Bradley Walsh, which was the devastation and tragedy on his face with one look. It was remarkable. Anybody, including me, who doubted Bradley Walsh is now eating (laughs) their words because he was just incredible. And it ended and I was in floods of tears. Everyone was talking about it on Twitter. Everyone was talking about different storytelling decisions, about soundtrack decisions, about sound design decisions. All these brilliant things that happens after great telly. Nobody is still talking about the fact that you've got one playing Doctor Who. Nobody's questioning that fundamental thing. And people are just getting down to having a really lovely, robust debate about family telly. And that made me have a lovely evening last night was down on ratings, though, wasn't it, from last week, that particular episode? Uh, uh, only a bit, though. Mm. I think yeah. it's a... It's, it's a it, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first episode, the opener of the whole, mm. of the whole thing is always going to be huge. huge. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's down a bit, but I don't think it's down... Um, Not significantly. Not significantly. Okay. Um, I also want to mention this... I mean, I, I completely agree with all of that. that there's, there's an incredible little scene where the two, the two companions, the two yes. non-white companions, yes. talk about how they're still affected by racism 
in yeah. their present day world where he talks about oh, I'm arrested loads more times than white people and she says she gets called, you know, she she gets shouted at because she's a Muslim coming back. And I thought that was a moment because yeah. that didn't need to be in there. No. And that was like, wow, you know, they're not only are they giving us this extraordinary history lesson about Rosa Parks, they're also ma- making it very, very clear that this issue has not been solved and is very much still going on again. Yeah, seven o'clock. BBC One Saturday night in a science fiction kids show. See, and we thought it was all just Cybermen and those, those, those uh, the lizard ones with the, the, with yeah. the floppy Jar Jar Binks yeah. ears. To come I mean, out it's always scene. dealt with issues, very. You yes. know, I mean, and I think to be fair, Stephen Moffat did a lot of really good yeah. stuff. You know, he, he had a lesbian character in the last series, and he, I thought he dealt with that brilliantly. Um, oh no, he's a lot of good stuff, but this did feel. Like something really special and ambitious, written by Marley Black- Mallory Blackman, who's a, who's a great who's kind a, of YA yeah, writer. Yeah, YA writer. Yeah. And I think Ryan, who's played by, T- is it Tosin? Tosin Cole, Cole. Yeah. he is proving himself yeah. to be such an incredible companion. And like you said from the get-go, Boyd, they all offer such different things, but he's really doing an amazing job with some brilliant material. Mm. And as you say, the kind of really t- affecting, touching things last night, the relationships between him and he, com- obviously from a multi family and also the prejudice he still faces on a day-to-day level and it the, the echoes were there and they were very clear but he had some really kind of pivotal scenes in in making that point of you know how how not very far we've come in many respects yeah and next week you get giant spiders oh well obviously which are really good that's the thematic really good link. cgi giant spiders well that that i mean that's not done very often is yeah. it so well okay, you know they've good. done it very well giant spiders <laughs> That's a natural segue from Rosa Parks, clearly. Okay, I haven't seen it. it that's was, the joy of Doctor I was Who. Say, that's James. the genius of Doctor Who. Yes, I, I feel I am missing out on this. I did say I was going to try and watch it, but there's just so much to get through, <sighs> so I'm slightly behind um, with that and so many other things. And but, what have you been watching, James? See, this James? is where my whole argument about the life's too short kind of falls down oh. because now I kind of have to confess to having now watched six hours of a discovery of witches <laughs> and being unable to stop. And I don't know why because it's objectively not good and I cannot <laughs> stop watching it. It has been, you know, it's been Sky One's biggest new hit of the year. I can understand. No, yeah. I can't understand why. Like, I'm part of the problem. Well, and you're I not don't the only know. one. I know. It's like it, there's so much yearning in it. It's the most YA thing ever. Yes, like Teresa Palmer and Matthew Good staring into each other's eyes. But then it gets really like like another witch kidnaps her and there's torture and there's all sorts of other stuff and then she summons and then apparently she's a super powerful witch because she can make it rain like that's apparently a really big deal looks fucking useless to me but apparently that's a really big thing for witches um and there's like there's a head in a box and there's demons and yeah you are so ya yeah, yeah i know i think i the sort of broad emotional themes i guess just tap into there's something there's a lot of me. ya Massive witches emo. going on there Massive is emo. We, we're going to get onto that a bit later it is the most emo show and that may be why i like it but yeah so i've been watching a lot of that i've also i was having a bit of a wobble and this was a difficult thing for me so the good place has been my good place for mm. a long time oh yeah i heard and you mention this on another podcast yes on the other podcast empire that we don't talk about like i, I i've been struggling with the new because yeah. they've mi- they've mixed up the formula a number of times and reinvented themselves, but this feels like the only one that hasn't really worked for me. A lot of sort of faux Australian accents, a lot of the magic that makes it work hadn't really been there. <laughs> and so I was kind of a bit like, oh God, has the good place gone to the bad place? And then, and then, last week's episode turned all that shit around. Because they they reinvented themselves yet again, three episodes after they reinvented themselves, and now it feels like actually this could be... Like there's a particularly genius genius sequence where Michael and Janet pretend to be FBI agents, and uh, he refers to himself. He just literally just goes, "I'm Special Agent Rick Justice, and this is my colleague, someone Frenchy something." <laughs> and it was just so brilliantly delivered, and that really made me laugh. So actually, 
I, I feel I may have I may have written off too early. The rumor is always not the rumor. The the in, the indication is always that you don't get comedy though, and this and yet. Strangely, this. this gets past my defences. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it's quite. Although I will say, because it's quite nerdy comedy, though. Isn't it? Yes. It's comedy that still, as you yes. say, still reinvents itself and still is high concept. Yes. And, yeah, has that element. It's self-referential, it. yeah. I, and not just self-referential. It's very pop culture referential. And I think one of the reasons I like it is one of the reasons why the Big Bang Theory amused me gently. Mm. Is it's the I got that reference thing. Oh, yeah. I got that. That's yeah. good. So yeah. I quite like that. Also, the guy who plays Cheedy is. Ripped. He takes his top off in the most recent episode. And he's the nerdy guy. <laughs> and I was like, like, the guy's got like that. a nine pack and these huge. He looks like fucking Terry Crews. I don't, nobody saw that coming. Emo, emo. We were talking about Twilight on Friday night. That's like... actually very true. Uh, yeah, so so I'm I'm back in the good place. I watched uh, the first episode of Star Wars Resistance as well, which I didn't really like. That's that's more you. That's more than yeah. I'm expecting. I didn't you. like no? it. No, no. Like, the reason it lo- lost me is it starts. So it's it's computer generated, but it's kind of cell shaded, so it looks like traditional animation. Oh, okay. And it starts with a sequence where you've got three X wings being pursued by like this big bad uh, Tie Fighter pilot in his little red Tie Fighter, and they're going along and, and they're piecing their talking to each other this is the best best pilot we've ever seen these fucking idiots are flying in a straight line in a are just clustered together in a straight line oh, and letting idiots. this tie fighter shoot at them i'm like what is wrong with you just morons like first of all split up <laughs> second of all i don't know turn a corner you know do something I was it like, should be a, called star wars idiots this is what i'm saying there's a fundamental <laughs> lack of sort of dog fighting strategy at work and they make a big meal out of how this guy's an elite pilot and then oscar isaac turns up and he's Frankly, useless as well, and is supposed to be the greatest starfighter in the galaxy. So this well, whole so Poe thing, turns up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So this whole thing, he's going to be in it quite a lot. So this whole thing was kind of undermined from the get-go with me. And then, what the, channel is this on? By the way, it's on Disney. Disney oh, okay. XD. XD yeah, right, um, but it's um, the main character is also whiny in a way that even Ezra from uh, Rebels wasn't. <laughs> like, there's a lot of whining going on, and I just yeah, it didn't didn't really work for me. Like, but Dave Filoni is very good. I suspect he will do interesting things with it. He just hasn't yet. So we will wait okay. and see. But let's just say this is very far behind Doctor Who in my queue now. This is oh, this is wow. not stepping up. Wow. Um, Big. Yeah, exactly. Although I will say very briefly, I am, however, sold on the new season of The Walking Dead. I'm enjoying that a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they've done good things. And I enjoyed uh, tonight's episode as well. Oh, okay, I haven't seen it's, it. Uh, There's some, some fun stuff happening. Lots, okay. of, uh, lots of moral wrangling and hand-wringing. So, yeah. That's what you want. That's yeah. what you want. That is what you dead. want. That yeah. is what you want. And if that is all that we are watching, should we get on with the news? God, yes. So the big news, the big news this week, I would say. Well, you've decided what the big news is. I've decided. You haven't told us. We're about to find out. I'm telling you right now, this is the big news, and it is Netflix. And it is that. Not only did they cancel Iron Mm -hmm. Fist last week, but they cancelled Luke Cage as well. They know what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I got called out on Twitter last week for being unduly harsh on the Marvel Netflix shows, and someone really took umbrage over this. And I was forced to say I was possibly a little over the top with my condemnation of it. That said, Iron Fist season one is still absolute dog shit. Season two, <laughs> I have heard, is significantly yeah. better. I will never know because I'm not going to watch it. Uh, and Luke Cage, again, I, I did I did struggle with a lot. And I can totally see why they've cancelled them. And I can only assume the viewing figures kind of echoed my my feelings about this. Now, but, but what's interesting about this is not that they've thrown in the towel on those two. It's what that means. Mm. So it can mean one of two things, really. So option one, behind door number one, they are following the comics <laughs> and realising that neither Luke Cage nor Iron Fist work well in isolation and they're going to combine them into Heroes for Hire and we're going to get a new series which is the two of them together. That's option one. Oh, right. Option two, which if I'm honest, is more likely, 
is that the Netflix-Marvel relationship is winding down as Marvel try and take all their properties back for yes. the new streaming service, yes. which kind of kicks off with The Mandalorian. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of the deal that Netflix struck with them. I, I believe uh, Marvel have refused to negotiate any additional properties. They won't give them anything else. They've yeah. only got what they've got. So maybe they couldn't even do Heroes for Hire if they wanted to. I don't know. But I wonder whether, you know, presumably there's a time limit. Presumably they've licensed these characters for a period of time. So... You know, like, because Daredevil obviously has had its third season. Mm. Jessica Jones is getting mm. its third season. They've said they've parked the Defenders. So having now retired two and Defenders isn't coming back, you know, realistically, they've only got Daredevil, yeah. Jessica Jones and The Punisher. Well, yeah. they've got so. three. And The Hollywood Reporter did... So unnamed sources, obviously, but The Hollywood Reporter is known for having very good unnamed sources. They said they're basically still doing the other three by the terms of the contract. It's still within, as you say, the time constraints of the contract that the plan is at the moment for just those three. Mm. And what they are saying about Luke Cage is not viewing figures. As we know, Netflix doesn't release viewing figures. They're saying creative differences, although between uh, who, huh. between the showrunner, between Netflix, between Marvel, who those Perhaps creative... between the show and the viewers. Between that creative <laughs> differences... There is no other comment other than that. The showman yeah. hasn't spoken. Nobody's yeah, spoken. Yeah, Chia hasn't said anything. But you wonder what, what the creative differences would be that would lead to a third season not happening at all. At the risk of upsetting the guy who called me out on Twitter, I would maybe flippantly say a creative difference is between the people who thought the show should be good and the people actually <laughs> making the show. Um, which is a little harsh, but I, I, I feel, having invested 13 hours in Luke Cage season two, that I am owed the right to vent a little on it because it was yeah. very... Wearing. I read that Hollywood Reporter, and I, 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 my feeling is, and I have no actual, I have no, unlike Hollywood Reporter, I have no sources, but I absolutely <laughs> am completely of the opinion that it is all to do with the uh, winding down yeah. the relationship. Yeah. I think yeah. Disney doesn't mm. give a shit. They want all their stuff. Absolutely. They want as many superhero properties as they can get yeah. from Marvel for the launch of their own mm -hmm. streaming service. And also, I think Netflix doesn't give a shit. So it kind of works both ways. It's yeah. like Netflix, the only, you know, Netflix's reputation is as being the cool place to go for t for content, for visual yeah. content we used to call TV. And I think the only kind of dark stain on their whole new, exciting, cool content thing was this were these shows. Agreed. But yeah. It started out well, and then it's kind of, it's soured. I feel although, like the whole idea is soured, particularly although, gone. Daredevil season three, oh, yeah. I feel like no, they've I'm actually not, I agree. picked up. I absolutely agree. But you're right, though. They're, brand rep, they're, yeah. they're about docs and they're about dramas, right? Yeah. They struggle sometimes with films. Yeah. I think they're still really working out that part of their Even content. Even getting better. Yeah, it is better. getting better on, yeah. on a one-off basis. But, yeah. you know, what they're really known for, their reputation is based on docs and right. dramas. Exactly. And I think you're never going to win with, with Marvel properties and with, I don't think Netflix wants to be known to be the place no. for this. And with Disney's platform do you really want to take them yeah. on when actually your real heartland is over here yeah. instead so that's I think, what people I think they just don't need about. each other now so it just it makes sense to me to unco I think they're uncoupling I think it's I think it's you know, conscious, a conscious, conscious un uncoupling. Un I think it's conscious yeah. and I think it all makes sense on both sides I don't I don't you know they've got so much I mean you know it's become such a cliche but it's absolutely true so for example Daredevil launched arrived the same day as making a murderer mm. I don't know if you if you I give any go past Waterloo Literally, every they've yeah. bought up every billboard in SC1 is making a murderer. It's not Daredevil. And yeah, it shows they don't, you know, the priority, it, the priority is making a murderer. That is telling. And I guarantee making a murderer will be getting tens of bazillions of viewers. Yeah. Daredevil, not so much. It's a shame in many ways. I would like to have seen them continue what they've done with Daredevil Season 3 and actually maybe mm. bring these shows back 
to make us feel that they are on a level with the MCU. Like the, 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 They do such a good job with the Marvel movies, and I love the Marvel movies so much. And yet the TV shows, while they have both been good and they've also been not good, they've never really... But I don't think that's ever going to happen. They could keep going and keep going and keep going. I think you have what is essentially some of the best films being made today mm. by incredible, huge, expansive filmmaking teams. And I think what they managed to achieve in the cinematic universe, I don't see a road in which that can be met on the same quality level on TV, I don't. I mean, purely financially. But think about how many. Think about how long it takes them to make a two-hour movie or a, or a three yeah. or a three-hour movie, <laughs> right? So imagine you you set the same standard for a m- m- episodic TV show. How do you ever manage to produce it on the same? I felt that they chose a different tack. So Daredevil season one felt to me like the sort of the dark alternative to the MCU like it was really gritty I mean it was literally dark as well but it was incredibly violent yeah and very unflinching and not at all kind of family friendly and Jessica Jones season one had a lot they're of that all as like well. that though yeah, well, Jessica all... Jones I felt was more thematic very okay. adult themes about consent and all sorts of stuff like that and then the Punisher was the most extreme example which was incredibly violent but then I feel like the season twos for all of those they kind of steered it more towards the middle. Daredevil season two was quite generic and wasn't anywhere near as hard-hitting as season one. Jessica Jones season two had the same thing for me. Uh, and, you know, an Iron Fist felt quite bland. It wasn't particularly dark. It wasn't particularly good. And, you know, Luke Cage tried something and it worked <laughs> for six episodes. Um, I feel like maybe they lost their way. And if they'd stuck to that early vision, we yeah, might be in a different maybe. place. But, but as you say, they were going to wind but it But won't it always suffer from a even just a straight kind of comparison on production values, which is what most yeah. people reckon. When you turn it on, what does it look like? I think it's always going to fall down on that mm. on that thing. And I think the budget's needed to make a truly cinematic TV show in that universe, yeah. it would just make it completely cost prohibitive. Well, I just used the words cost prohibitive. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, About great. telly. In some sexy, sense. <laughs> sexy pilot TV podcast. But it is weird how you, you start watching an original Netflix, like Stranger Things, yeah. you, the, the amount of care, attention and money lavished on making that as visually enticing as those 80s, for example, sci-fi fantasy films mm. that it's, it's largely inspired by is incredible. And then you then look to the mar- these Marvel Netflix shows and it's like the opposite. It's like, well, we're, we're primed for a visual feast <laughs> because of the films. And we don't get that. We, yep. As you say, we get this kind of rather dark, grey, lumpen kind of things. And it is weird. It's like... Netflix, I mean, House of Cards looks beautiful. You know, whatever you think of mm. each, you know, various boring seasons of it, it's always looked stunning. You know, David Fincher directed the first two episodes. Yep. All of that, that's always been missing for me with the Marvel ones. It's like they are so clearly TV, TV-ish rather than the incredibly mm. thrillingly made, beautifully made films. Well, you speak a lot. You, we're speaking about the, 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 the original shows that Netflix produced. Obviously, the two ones they really started with being House of Cards, which yeah. the last season of which is starting soon. Yeah. And the other one, of course, being Orange is the New Black, which has announced its own retirement. Yes. Uh, not with the current season that's available, but the next yeah. season, which is season seven. Which, again, makes sense. Makes total sense. Because I think it's... I love that show. But, you know, it's, it's, you could feel the, the last two seasons, you could mm. like the the penultimate the season before the most recent one was set across three days and yeah. they're already challenging the yeah. form and all of that this one was they moved to a completely new environment you can feel them kind of trying their best to reinvent themselves yeah. and then and eventually just got to call it a day and I think that's perfect timing also you need to look at the crime she was convicted well, for she's yes. been in prison yeah. for seven right. years it's right. like is this excessive sentencing well I mean yeah. just write that out there I, I do think and I think whenever there's a, a cancellation or an announcement that something is ending 
there's always this um, uh, jump to see it as some kind of failure. But I agree with you. I think some shows are just meant to have a certain lifespan, yeah. right? Think about The Office. The Office being three seasons yeah. for me, and everyone's, oh, it's, it's finished too soon, it didn't. For me, part of the perfection of the British office is that arc that existed within mm. those three seasons. Yeah. And I think part of, of making bold TV is knowing when to say, Absolutely. we've done, our ideas are through, let's move on to yeah. something Leave else. Leave on a high. Don't, yeah. you know, don't let your banana turn brown. I tell you, that I feel <laughs> the most interesting decision to be made about a current Netflix show, does it come back, is The Haunting of Hill House. So I don't know if you finished it. Those of us that have finished it. We talked about this in the podcast yeah. and you were very up on it. And yeah. Julia pissed on your chin. She did. She was and totally yet, wrong. And yet, Empire big- Helen O'Hara said if she was one of the bellends who put TV shows on her films of the year list, this would be in the top uh, Oh, it's been, you know, people are calling it a horror masterpiece, not me, other people. <laughs> and one, but what is really interesting about it is when you see how it ends, they could absolutely leave it there. It's a totally self-contained story. And yet, obviously, the pressure, because that has become another huge word-of-mouth phenomenon for Netflix, yeah. the pressure will be, you've got, we've got to do another run. What do they do? Do they do a completely new new story, an anthology-wise thing, or do they carry on with this family that everyone now loves mm. and they're not all dead? Spoiler alert. So... That, I think that's a fascinating decision. But then they've made the wrong decision in the past. So 13 Reasons Why, which was clearly mm. a standalone yeah, yeah. thing based yeah. on a book, but yeah. they had to bring him back yeah. for a second season yeah. and yeah. that was a mistake. Greedy, 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 It's coming greedy. back again, 13 Reasons Why, another third season. Third, I mean, at this point, Isn't as we've talked about the maths, haven't we? Yeah, it's oh, just yeah. like, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just really how many reasons why can I, I know, do? I know. Um, but uh, Amazon are having a bit of a shocker as well. So obviously they're sort of one of their, their tempo ones is American Gods. And that's in a whole world of shit, isn't it? So how many years has it been since that was on the screen? Yeah, well, it's like two years, is it? Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously they fired <laughs> Brian Fuller. Yes. Uh, and Kristen Chenoweth announced this week that she will not be returning because Brian Fuller isn't right. on board. It's under new management. And Neil Gaiman's running it now, isn't he? It, well, it's now yeah. on hiatus. Oh, they, oh, they've, okay. they've paused production oh. because there are now all kinds of... It seems like this is a story that we may not get to see <laughs> the end of. Yeah, I think it's a show. I, I really liked the first season. I mean, it was all over the place. It was. But, and it and was very Fuller. I, I, I mean, I, I'm a big Brian Fuller fan. It was definitely, definitely kind of reeked of Fuller in a good way. Yeah. Um, it had an incredible sex scene um, kind of in, in the middle of it, uh, which was one of the most extraordinary sex scenes until we get to Sally Forever in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, but, but that is weird. Yeah. That's, that seems well, it's Jesse Alexander who was kind of, it was the EP, a kind of showrunner, I think, yeah. working with Gaiman on this. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, Alexander's been pushed to the side. Apparently, they're six weeks behind schedule, and they're now on hiatus because oh, okay. they've essentially, you know, deep six the showrunner. So wow. it just feels like this is cursed. Yeah, that, um, that does sound bad. Obviously, thank God it's all happened after Netflix had their big showcase event in <laughs> London, where they went on about where Neil, Amazon, yeah. sorry, Amazon, where where Neil Gaiman went on about how brilliant everything's going to be. Yeah, so. That's fun. Mm. Uh, there was also a bit of movement on Steve Moffat and Mark Gates' yes. Dracula. Yes, yeah, so they've Miniseries. confirmed, BBC One's confirmed, they're doing a Sherlock-style three 90-minute episodes of Dracula, which won't be present day, though. will be set in the original, when the original novel was set. Mm. They haven't announced the casting, though. That's, that, I'm, mm. I, I, you know, I'm fascinated and intrigued. Someone, t- sources told me they had a big casting thing, meeting. I really wanted to be a fly on the wall because I think what they're going to do is go for kind of the level of fame of the person playing Dracula that Benedict Cumberbatch was when he got the Sherlock role. Mm. So if you kind of think of that, like he wasn't a huge star. He'd done some stuff. Mm. He'd done a few big, you know, prestige BBC dramas, but he wasn't a household name. And I think they're going to go for someone like that to play Dracula. I'm absolutely fascinated. Are there any names intrigued. in the frame? Uh, not that I know of. No, no, I, it's, it's very tight. They keep me a very tight lid on it. Mm. Oh. Did either of you ever used to watch NYPD Blue? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen they're doing a reboot? 
No. Yeah, <laughs> That's a are. good segue, James. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, did any of you thinking, ever used to watch... I was going to say, what was Bentley coming back to me? No, no, it just, it just came into my head. It's like that I just... <laughs> just this is a thing that's actually happening. Uh, that is shocking. They're doing a reboot of... You can't do that without Stephen Boschko, who is well, now no longer with us. Oh, no, basically, so you remember Dennis Franz, like Detective Sipowitz? It's his son. He, oh. It's his son, oh. but, but Sipowitz is dead in the world now. Like, Sipowitz is dead. Because yeah, Dennis Franz is no longer with us. Well, that's an unfortunate side effect of that, I think. Uh, Sipowitz is dead and young Sipowitz Jr. is apparently going to be the oh, star of this. It's no, just a pilot order at this point. I'm not happy with that. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is ABC okay, walking all over NYPD Blue's grave. Yeah, fair enough. Did you, do, you want to know, do you want to know a fun West Wing fact about NYPD Blue? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. You're, you're, now, you're, now, you're now freestyling. We're 50 yeah. minutes into the yeah. podcast and we've got to, do you want to know a fact about yeah. West Wing? <laughs> Matt Santos and Toby Ziegler met for the first time on an episode of NYPD Blue. That's very good. That's yeah. very good to that's know. A, that's a fact for you. There we go. Are you Anybody winding is? down TV news now? Yeah, it feels yeah. a bit that way. Can we just yeah. mention no, the casting of, do you see the Peaky Blinders casting news? Oh, yes, it is. They've got an effing incredible cast. Yes. Joining the regulars. Say, you can say that word. Fucking yeah. incredible cast. <laughs> Joining the regulars, Sam Claflin, Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. and Brian Gleeson, and Neil Maskell, and Emmett J. Scanlon. By order of Peaky Blinders. You think Emmett J. Scanlon has been in it since the beginning because of his look, but he hasn't. He's I mean, actually joining Sam the Claflin. Mm. No, you're not excited. Anya Taylor-Joy. I'm Anya saying Taylor is Joy Anya Taylor is, Joy's in it. She's incredible. She's incredible. She is absolutely yeah, incredible. She's the best. No one, no one can be better than Tom Hardy was in that show as Alfie Solomon. <laughs> I, I loved him. I thought he was great. Okay. That that's show is so good. Anyway. <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy, that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what you really yeah. meant. We'll forgive you the leading is... on Sam Claflin. <laughs> it's just the order that the press release comes in. <laughs> You're reading from a press release? <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's it for news. Is that yes. it for news? I think yeah, we're done. We'll do the reviews. Uh, Come on. Yes, we need to review some stuff before we go. This week's best in shows. Should we kick off with with a little drummer girl? Let's. So, Little Drama Girl, new massive BBC drama uh, following in the footsteps of The Night Manager. It is again yet another John Le Carre. 1970s set, we have an amazing Florence Pugh, who I think we can say off the bat is absolutely remarkable in this. She is an actress, not a particularly maybe successful actress, and she is recruited um, to infiltrate a Palestinian terror cell. I, was say, I thought you were talking about Florence Pugh for a second. That was <laughs> really harsh. Um, <laughs> it is confusing. She's an actress playing an she actress. She is an actress playing an yeah. actress. Yes. We're just confused. She's remarkable. The actress she yeah. plays, maybe not so. Florence Pugh doing really well. Which, by that respect, makes her amazing. Yeah. Um, so um, it's also got um, Michael Shannon in it, who is yep. incredible as an Israeli Mossad agent. Um, Skarsgård, who is classically great Skarsgård. Um, he plays an Israeli intelligence officer. And the most one of the reasons I was most excited about this, actually, is the filmmaking team, which is being led by director Park Chan-wook, um, who obviously did The Handmaiden, an old boy, and is one of the most exciting directors um, working in film. We've seen this a lot. Um, as we know, people moving into... TV. Now, she, I have to say, this is her vehicle for me. She is absolutely mm-hmm. remarkable. A lot of people are going to be talking about the look, um, the style of this, the production design's amazing. It looks absolutely fantastic. It is, I have a bit of a checkered history with Le Carre in that. Um, before Night Manager, I think I thought he was kind of, you know, it's those run of the mill thrillers. He's not really for me, I have to say, but. His work done in this way with really incredible talent, which is what we saw with Night Manager, um, it just makes them feel really fresh, really exciting. As I say, I think she really owns this. I think Skarsgård is good. He's typically good. But I think I interviewed him the uh, other week for our 
pilot TV TV show. And he talked a lot about the amazing talent of Florence Pugh. I was like, you know, what was she like? He went, she was really irritating because she was just amazing. Like, she has an incredible naturalism. She was obviously in Lady Macbeth, um, which was, you know, her huge breakthrough. She's got this great history of playing, already in such a young career, of playing um, properly textured, interesting women. Her character is, is fearless, is fearsome, and... I saw the first two, no, three episodes. Um, the first one, I think it, it takes a little while to warm up. It can be a little bit slow in places, but I think you have to stick to this and see it as an entire series um, to kind of stick with and not just to dip in and out of episodes mm. at all. Um, it's slower moving than slow the Night and, Manager. Yes, mm. and I think people, I think that will take, I think it won't get the numbers of mm. Night Manager, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I think you've got essentially a female-led narrative, which I think automatically makes it a bit more tricky but it doesn't have, as you say, the pace and the speed of Night Manager. Also being period set, I think, as well. Period set, and it's a slow burner. And Mm. I think you have to kind of know that going in and commit to it. Um, But the quality is remarkable Mm. of this show. Really yeah, good. I agree. I, I think Nightmare, it's interesting because the BBC obviously ha- is is um, trumpeting the fact that it's from the same people as yes. the Night Manager. But actually, it's so different. All it's got in common is the Le Carre. Night Manager was like a six-hour James Bond yeah. film. Yeah. Brilliantly done. Yeah. Incredibly entertaining. And it had all of that. But this is like a really adult, kind of, as you say, slow burn. Almost hardly anything happens in the first episode. It kind of, mm. it leads up to the big premise of the whole show is is revealed in the last five minutes that's yeah. the whole premise of the series mm. and I, I kind of almost don't want to explain what it is because you have to get there and then it's it, as you say it's this kind of slow steady build up again BBC One Sunday night this uh, female led directed by Park Chan-wook in a very <laughs> art uh, kind of artistic and yeah. kind it's of way beautifully it's subtly done and as you say, the production, same production design as Tinker Tailor Soldiers yep. by the film, the brilliant film. It's one of my favourite films, the Gary Oldman film. And that's what it's like for me, because that film was also beautifully, mm. a beautiful slow burn, all about getting to the final point where you care so much about everyone involved. And I think in this, you're going to absolutely care so much, particularly, as you say, about Florence Pugh's mm. character. So I think it's, it, it's another example of how incredible BBC drama mm. is at the moment. Just these... Just the confidence of getting this creative team to make this show and, and giving them the freedom to do it as they've done it. And I think a lot of people are going to go, oh, I bet people are going to go, oh, it's boring, yeah. <laughs> that first episode. But I've watched the first three as well. And it, 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 don't you think by the time you're like halfway through the episode, you're like, oh my God, I'm so yes. invested in this. In my, this. Wor- my worry is people may drop out during yeah. the first episode. I think, yeah. And yeah. I think we live in that culture where if something doesn't, and I'm guilty of this, right? If something doesn't grab you immediately within the first 20 minutes, it's turn off and watch something else. Yeah. I urge people to stick it out because it's totally worth it and to be honest even if you will stick it out just for how gorgeous it looks probably for the first episode it really does look astonishing and the cinematography is beyond pretty much anything i've seen on tv this Mm. year it is exquisite the detail the tone tonally what this looks like is remarkable but if you are expecting full-on thriller heart-pounding action you're not going to get that immediately and as you say ballsy of the BBC to go, we're going to make it probably the proper way. It's an intelligent BBC drama. It really is. Um, But it's not in any way snobby. It's not elitist in any way. It's it's proper primetime heartland BBC. It just doesn't offer it all up on a plate within Mm. the first 50 minutes. And of course, if the first episode does leave you cold and you want something more highbrow, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina (laughs) is, uh, is an excellent choice. 
which we're going to talk about next. Uh, this is a Netflix's show, which is a kind of a reimagining, a reimagining, a reimagination, a reimagination of uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, um, and this takes place in the um, Riverdale verse. Uh, I don't. I mean, I've only seen the first episode, and I couldn't tell you how. Uh, but it certainly <laughs> shares a lot of DNA with that. So this uh, this stars Kin and Shipka, who you will know as Sally Draper from Mad Men, uh, as Sabrina, and she's the kind of young witch about to come out, come of age. She's fifteen years old. She's about to have her dark baptism at the age of sixteen to become a full witch, and then head off to let's be honest, the satanic version of Hogwarts, which is the boarding <laughs> school for witches, where they all go, where apparently everyone is a massive bitch and is horrible to everyone else. Uh, and there's lots of cursing and hexing and abuse, as well as the normal kind of hazing that goes on there. But she's a half-witch, Sabrina is, so she's having to leave her old life and her old school behind and join the kind of the world of witchery. Now, what's interesting with this one is they have doubled down on the Satanism, which is not a sentence oh. I get to say enough. Um, so it's all about worshipping the Dark Lord Satan and drinking blood. And, like It's not like friendly witch. Witches. This is evil satanic witches. Although evil, maybe not. It, like Satan seems to be a little bit sort of morally agnostic in this particular <laughs> one. He's the source of all their power, and there's lots of there's lots of familiars and spiders and people casting spells and uh, witches taking over the bodies of other people and being incredibly hammy and no one noticing. Um, it's an odd one. I had had this advertised to you as being much more adult than Riverdale, pitched mm. at an older audience. I don't think that's true. It has the kind of broad strokes of a teen show, and it feels like it shares that Riverdale thing of being a teen show, but it has enough edge that it can appeal to a slightly older audience. This more so, I think, than that, only to the extent that it's also very gory, so it has a lot of horror aspects to it as well. Um, there is a cat in it. It doesn't talk, uh, which I was quite pleased about. But there's some there's some interesting kind of rug pulls, I think, for people who are vaguely familiar with the old sort of uh, Melissa Joan Hart incarnation of this. I don't know. I think anyone who watches Riverdale, I think, will probably enjoy this a lot. I think if you don't watch Riverdale, it might have something to offer you if the blend of, you know, Satanism, teenage angst and kind of witchy bitchy Hogwarts appeals to you then perhaps this is a thing but I, I think this is good I I mean let's be honest I watch a discovery of witches I'm almost certainly going to watch the rest of this yeah so it's, it's, it's totally aimed at you it is and your it's, YA it's your me, YA witch YA obsession emo trick yeah that it's so moment. emo this is also really really it's emo very emo um, I think it's more um, actually discovery of witches is very well filmed isn't it but it I is, think this yeah. visually is very, oh, it looks very effective it looks yeah. fantastic yeah. the so set design is amazing. Yeah, the set design is incredible my issue with it is I, I enjoyed it perfectly perfectly well, I do feel it's got when it's trying to be funny, it's it's a bit forced. Yes, you've got the witch, you've got the well, aunts, Lucy Davis, the aunts, Lucy, kind of Davis. So Lucy yeah. Davis and Miranda Otto Miranda are her Otto. lesbian aunts. It's unclear. It's You're unclear, not sure, maybe. but I, you, they seem to be. And the um, dude, the pansexual dude, who um, uh, Ambrose, he's a bit like he's clearly kind of playing it. You know, I'm yeah. really this pansexual cool dude. It's all a bit. It's is very YA. So yeah. and I You've got to divorce. I've got. I'm trying to divorce myself from the pre-show publicity, which was talking about the Exorcist. Mm. You know, like, it's, it's not. It's like not. The Who came up with that line? Right. They, some person <laughs> came up with, it. and it's ruined it for me because it's just not it, like there is gore, but it's but it's so it's it's the tone of it is done in such a way that it's not scary in the slightest. Yeah, like it has and elements fine. of you know when when Buffy got quite camp. Yeah, like right. there are yeah, touches of camp. that. In it this. is camp. That's the yeah. word, and it's fine. And I'm down with camp, but just don't tell us it's going to be like no. fucking. <laughs> it really isn't. I like when you mentioned Ambrose, I thought it was particularly funny. So he's this asexual kind of British witch. And so because he's a, a sort of a young British witch, yeah. he has both a kind of scuffed Union Jack 
and a pentagram on his MacBook lid. And I'm like, that just sums this show up. In yeah. And I'm like, you're really trying hard to aim at the pansexual youth of today with this character. Fine, but yeah. it's a bit contrived. Is but this it- the closest Boyd's ever come to not liking something? Uh, no, I, there's some things I don't like. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm certainly not going to carry on watching this one. Well, I definitely don't whoa. like any of those bloody Marvel Netflix shows. Well, wow. not, never forget that. Well, well, I'll let you know how it goes. I like Evil Boyd. Yeah. More Evil Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Chilling uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which drops on Netflix, I want to say on Friday. Yes. Yes? It okay. does. So uh, all, all the episodes will be there then. And finally this week, we have... The latest comedy from Julia Davis. This is a show that not only features a sex montage to to Powers China in your hand, which you do not hear enough on television, plus a panpipe cover of Berlin's (laughs) Take My Breath Away. (laughs) But it also boasts an extraordinarily graphic shot of someone attempting to insert their large toe into another lady's undercarriage, which, again, is something you don't see enough on television. Very subtly Um, described. Yeah, and it coins the term... Cocknots yes. to uh, to describe the muscle knotting you get from having bad cocks, <laughs> uh, and all this in the very first episode. Boyd, tell us about this. Yeah, Julia Davis of Nighty Night um, fame, uh, and sh- her last few um, shows have been for Sky. Camping uh, was brilliant, and it's currently be- been remade recently by Liam Dunham. Anyway, this starts on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Thursday at ten o'clock. It's her. I think it's a seven-parter, and it is. It's a self-contained story about it, the working title was Lesbians. She <laughs> is playing this kind of weird, creative, artistic singer who um, who thinks she's like the ultimate bohemian, yeah. and she basically bumps into this very kind of uptight repressed woman who's in the worst relationship in the world her with Alex husband. McQueen. Her husband played by Alex McQueen. <laughs> Catherine Shepherd is this woman who's been going out with him for 10 years, this man with a small penis and terrible personal habits it's, of like picking his teeth and his fingers in bed. It is the most asexual thing that has yes. ever been on... T- oh, no, anti-sexual thing that's yes. ever been on television. Although we do see him masturbate violently we in do, episode yeah. one on top of everything. You mentioned that. So it's about... She bumps into a... She she seduces... Uh, Julia Davis's character seduces Catherine Shepherd's character um, and worms her way into her life. And so she moves in within about 10 minutes of knowing her, gets rid of poor Alex McQueen's character. And that's the kind of basis for it. And then we also see, interesting, I think for the first time in a Julia Davis show, this is that because that could be reminiscent a little bit of 1990, which yeah. also shows us the office life of Catherine Shepard's mm. character, of Sally. Mm. And she works in this kind of the world's least cool ad agency <laughs> with a bunch of freaks. And um, <laughs> that stuff, again, I thought was wonderful. But it's just classic Julia Davis. She's tackling, she's made it a speciality to look at the perversity of sexual, human sexual relationships and actual sex. And it's incredibly, the thing about that sex scene is it is one of the most explicit sex scenes it's ever. It's so but graphic. it's also hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. It's but it's so real. The rem- <laughs> yeah. the, it shows the mundanity, the, the like, Icky, things that you've never seen on telly, right? Is sex is awkward and gross. Yeah. So actually, you've got fluids involved. You're sweating. You're red face. Nobody comes out of sex well. Right. It's like that bit in Friends when Rachel and Ross see the video of them having sex, and they go from, "Oh, you look quite cool." To, "No, no, make it stop." Yeah. So the bit where Julie Davis comes up for air, and her face is covered in her, and you're like, "Absolutely." Well, of course she would be. There are yeah. the positions yeah. they're in, which with them with with China and your hands playing over, it's meant to be like this romantic sense and they're covered in like hairs and, <laughs> and you, yeah. you see their yeah. bodies as they are yeah. and it's 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 a, it's that scene it does so many things at the same time it's it's spoofing the sex yeah. montage yes. it's something at a hot yes. shot yeah you know? absolutely it's absolutely effing 
fucking brilliant. It and really you know is. what? She uh, interviewed her for Pilot TV magazine in the current issue, and she one of the things I didn't manage to put in is she says if you think that is extreme. In episode four, there's a thing, a sex act that has never been shown on TV before and they had to get special dispensation from HBO, a co-producer, oh that they could put it in. And it was a big moment. It's like, can we actually show this? And they were like, we think so, but we're not quite sure. And they had to double check and it's in there. Whatever it is, I don't know. Oh, my God. And can yeah. I just say, like, I love the two of them, but Alex McQueen, McQueen yeah. is Incredible. just remarkable. He so embodies the... There are those guys, right, as a woman, let me just say, there is one guy in your life who you kind of never really fancied that much and you stayed with him because you kind of thought you should. And, <laughs> and what that perfectly captured is the kind of skin-crawling tedium that life with those men is like. Yes. And I presume for women yes. on your people's part. But the, <laughs> the really smart thing with the sex scene was the way that he juxtaposed it with him flossing. That was it, flossing. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and drying his pubes. And drying his pubes <laughs> with a hairdryer. Yeah. And, and he is the most grotesque, ridiculous... <laughs> but you still feel sympathy yeah. with him. Yeah. So when he comes back, genius, there's yeah. a scene where um, she's... During the sex scene, the, the wedding dress she'd been trying on that had been his mother's for their big day had been ripped off her body by Julia yeah. Davis and he picks it up off the chair where it's been discarded and starts weeping and you still feel sorry for him yeah. even though he's the most disgusting gross the stuff what he does to his feet like and you just see her watching him and, and her entire vagina just closing like <laughs> yeah. like a safe door yeah. never to be opened yeah, again beautiful observation that she's been with him for 10 years he proposes she agrees she just about can deal with the idea of marrying him but he, she can't touch him he, she flinches when he tries to touch her and and I actually said I said to her at one point Mike, you know how do you explain how she ended up with him and she's like but it happens all the time it does <laughs> like, yeah, it does you start yeah. going out with the guy yeah. and then you're like oh he's not what a dream and your mates go well he's nice to you what do you want like a bastard who's dead fit and you're like okay well I suppose and then before you know it, it's been three months and before you know it, it's been six months and then you've been together for ages and there's never one good enough reason to leave him because he flosses yeah. badly and he's gross and you don't want him to physically touch you at any point but you've just got along with it people spend 20 yeah. years of their lives with that guy yeah it's it's a it's fantastic stuff i mean yeah. i don't know that i will watch any more but we've talked about this before you know my thing about comedy of embarrassment i watched this on a train coming back from lincoln and was almost crawling under the table <laughs> i just i just i was like i can't even i can't i cannot even it was you can't watch that sex scene in public i mean i did on a train no. wow the person next to me i can only imagine <laughs> what they thought suppose you weren't arrested i mean it's very full-on it is um, very full-on but it's one of the most singular most just hilarious as you say awkward like i can't remember seeing anything on telly quite like yeah. this it's got as you say it's got flashes of other things but it's entirely its own thing and yeah. I immediately when I got to the end of the first episode wanted to watch every single other yeah, one that's just seen done superbly. one of the best things I've seen on television just from an observational from a comedian just every aspect of it was perfect from the she's, musical choice she's not you know the word genius is overused I think Julia Davis is yeah. a cast iron TV and I love the fact she's all about making brilliant TV and she takes the time and uh, she's just absolute treasure and can't wait to carry on watching it yeah it's on Thursday at 10 o'clock on Skylantica Now TV. There you go. Factually. Watch it, but not on a train or, you know. Or with children. Or with anyone <laughs> you ever want to children. end up in bed with. Or with your nana or your mum. Yeah. Just watch it alone yeah, yeah. in a room. Watch it alone. Watch, dark room yeah. watch it alone while hair drying your pubes, you know. Yeah. That, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, that is it for another Pilot TV podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, do head over to iTunes and give us a rating between five and five stars. Uh, big thanks to Terry and Boyd and our stalwart producer, John Harris. Uh, join us next week when we'll have yet more antisocial activities for you to line up, including the sixth and final series of House of Cards. Exciting. Woo! <laughs> Until then. Bye. Bye.